Certainly it's good to be with you this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to speak and uh, to fill in for Brother Randy. We need to continue to pray for him to have a successful meeting, and I'm certain that he will and uh, does such a good job. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter uh, 4, beginning with verse 4, as was read a few moments ago. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4 through verse 8. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What a beautiful context that is. What a beautiful set of verses that is. When you think about joy, which comes about, uh, to the child of God. And right here in these verses, we have the secret to joy. It's no secret, really, is it? It's revealed in God's Word. Notice in verse 4 where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Why did Paul say twice, again I say rejoice? You see, he said it twice, didn't he? Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said, again I say, well, he's emphasizing it, isn't it? It's a privilege to be a child of God. There is reason for rejoicing. There's reason for to have confidence that one is saved and right in the sight of God, and therefore have peace of mind, have joy. Let's think about what's being said here, this beautiful passage. Let's look at the next passage here. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. And so now notice in verses 6 and 7 where he gives us the answer to worry. Now notice he said, be careful for nothing, that is be anxious for nothing. Don't have anxiety for anything, in other words, right? Is that easy to do? Anybody here has never worried about anything? I'm putting my hand down. <laughs> if so, I'm going to ask Brother Randy to preach against lying if you raise your hand. But nevertheless, we, we've all done it, haven't we? But think about it for just a moment. What, what is being taught here is why worry when you can pray? Paul's attitude was not, you know, why pray when I can worry? But why worry when I can pray and put it upon God? You see, he's capable, he's able to handle it all. He is the omnipotent one of heaven, you see. He is unlimited in his power. It's easy for God to handle the burden. It's easy for him to do that. And he wants us, however, with an obedient faith to give it to him. That's our part, to trust him that he can uh, do that for us. Look, at, be careful for nothing, verse 6. But in everything, now how, how much does that leave out? Everything. Give it to God in prayer. Whatever troubles you, whatever it is, in everything. And then he said, by prayer and with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Praying with a thankful heart for what God has already done, as one prays to God. And then he said here, uh, in verse 7, here's the end result of that kind of prayer. Here's an individual who has obeyed the true gospel of Jesus Christ. He's heard, believed, repented. He's confessed the name of Christ. He's been baptized for remission of sins. The Lord has added him to his kingdom, his body, his spiritual body, the church. Acts 2.47 says the Lord does that. He adds to the church daily those that are saved. Now notice, he says in regard to that praying individual, 
who puts his faith and trust in him in prayer in regard to things that are troubling him or her. Notice what he says. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you see that? Folks, we can't take lightly what this has to say, can we? Look again what it says. And the peace of God, peace of God refers to that peace of mind that we have as a result of having peace with God. And of course what God gives to us as a result of believing in whatever he says in the Bible and doing whatever he says. And the peace of God, it passes understanding, doesn't it? Have you ever had a prayer, and after that prayer, you you know, you troubled before the prayer. After you pray, you have a peace, peace of mind. You feel better. You left it with God. It's the peace that passes understanding. The world can't give that. All of the gurus of self-help can't give you that. And I like to study self-help books. I like to study what's, uh, where they're worth their salt, that is. And so uh, the self-help books that are out there, some of them are really excellent. On the other hand, you have to really weed through it, don't you? But all of this about positive thinking, and positive thinking is an important thing. It is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with positive thinking, provided we don't exclude reality, right? But all of the, uh, all of the things that are stated, for example, that are true in the book Think and Grow Rich, any principles of truth and other books that are having an impact on our society and have in regard to how to reach your goals financially all are stated right here in verse 8. Look at the next passage. And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. You see, God said it first. Think right. Thoughts are things, aren't they? We can either encourage ourselves with the thoughts that are found in the Bible, or we can discourage ourselves by rejecting the thoughts that we ought to be having. So he said in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, how do we uh, go about doing what this verse says? You see, after, after understanding what prayer is and how I can have peace of God that passes understanding that the world cannot give me, Notice now he says in verse 8, here's the way that you need practice thought control. Thought control is so important, isn't it? Again, has anybody ever here ever practiced thought to control to perfection? Have you ever had a negative thought and, and, and dwelt upon that negative thought when really, or, an un, uh, or some thought that is not virtuous, let's use the expression here, you dwelt upon that non-virtuous thought to the point that you became miserable? Gossip is like that. Those are unvirtuous thoughts or just uh, the wrong kind of thoughts. And so what will happen here? Notice he says, really, in essence, practice thought control. Control your thoughts. Have you ever studied the human mind and studied how that thoughts come and go, whether you try or not? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever had a thought? And it, where'd that come from? It just popped into my mind. God made the mind where it just is on automatic. It has thoughts. What a blessing that is. However, God also teaches us, now you control it. You have thoughts coming this way, thoughts going that way. Perhaps we could look at it like an inbox. The human mind is somewhat like an inbox of one's email. If you ever opened your email and uh, 
if you have email. And you look and you say, well, there are some things just came in. I didn't know that was coming. And it's spam. And so what do you do with your spam? You delete it, right? You say, I'm going there. I'm going to the mailbox, to the trash can with that. And you drag it over or you delete it. Why can't we do that with our minds? Why can't we, uh, you know, the Bible says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, and the Bible, of course, is the authority here. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, that's what he said he did. He said, this one thing I do, this is in the chapter prior to this, and he had to forget the fact or put behind him the fact that he had murdered Christians, thinking he was doing God's service prior to becoming a child of God, right? So Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind. I delete those things. Others may have held things against Paul, but Paul said, I've forgotten them. God forgave me, and I've forgotten them, you see. That's what Paul is saying. What do you do when you open your inbox as you uh, retrieve your email and uh, you find a message there? Well, there's a message from a friend. I think I'll save that. I think I'll read that. I may put that in the drafts over here. Why can't we treat the human mind like we ought to? We can treat our inbox correctly, but what about the human mind? We have the inbox of the human mind. And so what we want to do then is we want to practice thought control. Get rid of those things that are keeping us from living a faithful Christian life and reaching our spiritual goals that God wants us to reach, right? Isn't that what this is teaching? So he says here in verse 8, think on these things. There are eight wonderful qualities there. There are so many approaches that can be used to discuss this. And one that I have thought about is how that Jesus Christ, who is the sinless Son of God, practiced this in his life. Let's think about John 8, verses 1 through 11. In John 8, 1 through 11, there is Jesus in the midst of the people. He is at the temple. He has taught the people. And now the Pharisees and scribes came tempting him. And they put a woman in the midst. And they said, what do you want to do with this woman? She's committed adultery. The law of Moses says, a stoner, what do you say? Now, you and I both know they were tempting him. They were trying to find fault with the Lord. That's all they wanted to do. Well, you know that Jesus was the master at debate, they made a big mistake taking him on, didn't they? And here's a woman then, she truly had been guilty of the act of adultery. She's there, uh, and they have cast her in the mist. And the dilemma to Jesus was this, that if he said yes, stole her, he would have violated Roman law, because Roman law said the Jews could not exact the death penalty. Now, sometimes the Jews would just go ahead and do it anyway. But they would have been able to say to the Lord, well, you know, you've gone against Roman law, and so he would be in trouble with the Romans, wouldn't he? On the other hand, if Jesus had said, no, or yes, we need to stone this woman according to the law of Moses because she's an adulteress, and the law of Moses says to stone the adulteress or adulterer, then, of course, uh, uh, or if he'd said that, then he would have violated Roman law. Do you ever get mixed up when you talk about that, that dilemma? Uh, so they were trying to put him on the horns of a dilemma with reference to Roman law or the law of Moses. So if he said, don't stone her, they'd say, well, the law of Moses said you should stone her. Therefore, you're in violation of the law. And you look bad in front of all these people. That's all they cared about. Get a life, right? The Pharisees and scribes just went around trying to find fault with the Lord. That's all they could do. 
They would make up lies on him. He's a drunk. He's a liar, and he runs around with filthy-minded people. You know, he, he associates with sinners and publicans. That's all they did. Well, you know, Jesus, uh, of course, stooped as though he wrote on the ground, or did write on the ground. And, uh, and then, of course, he, he stood up and he said, He that was out sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. They left from the oldest to the youngest. The oldest were smarter. They realized they couldn't answer him. They left quickly. They left sooner than the younger ones. And finally, Jesus with the woman, you remember he said, you know, has any man condemned you? She said, no man, Lord. And the Lord said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Well, we recognize that Jesus did not condone her sin. We don't want to give that impression. He said, go and sin no more, right? So she had sinned, but don't do that anymore. But he said, neither do I condemn you, meaning I'm not going to condemn you today in regard to the law of Moses with reference to stoning you because there are two reasons really in that text if one would study uh, first of which is Deuteronomy 22, 22 the man also was to be present and he was to be tried at the same time he, he was to be put to death as well where was he? secondly there had to be accusers all the accusers were gone Jesus had shamed them away that's what he had done now let's look and see what Jesus did there the Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 8, think on things that are true and honest and just. You see, this was a kangaroo court situation. That's what it was. And Jesus had to not judge by appearance, but righteous judgment. He had to figure all that out and see that they were doing what was really happening here. The Pharisees were just manipulating this woman in this circumstance to get at Jesus. That's all it was. So Jesus thought on things that are true. Well, what is true? What the law of Moses actually taught that they were under, right? And that is that uh, the man had to be present as well. Where was he? Did the Pharisees set all this up? Did they allow him to somehow escape? We aren't told. But the bottom line is the Lord thought about things that were true. He is the embodiment of all of this. Also, he wanted this woman to be given a fair hearing or trial in the circumstance. He wanted her to go and sin no more, not to do that anymore. He wanted what was best for her. The Pharisees did not. So he looked upon what was just. Likewise, we see our need to do what Jesus did, right? We see our need to practice these things in our hearts and lives. Thought control is so very, very important. What does the Bible have to say about thought control? Let's think about 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Doesn't the Bible tell us that we are to bring every thought into obedience to Christ? 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That has got to be, if not the greatest challenge, one of them. Can you imagine having every thought that one has approved of God? You know, somebody says practice makes improvement, or practice makes perfect. Really, practice makes improvement. There is no one who is perfect except by the blood of Christ. And so we keep practicing, we keep working on uh, dealing with those thoughts that we have. And we seek to have thoughts that are pure and holy and right. Doing away with the thoughts that are unholy, but also turning then and forcing ourselves to think on the things that we really want to think on, and that's things that are pure and holy and virtuous.
There can't just be a turning away or a deleting of a message, so to say. Uh, there must be then a determination to go forward. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Forgetting those things which are behind. All right, that's one thing. It's, it's, you know, what is it that we worry about or think about? Things in the past, right? You know, we can't live in the past. Have you ever tried physically to go back to yesterday? See you later, you're going back in time, huh? You can't do that. It's impossible to go back in time. It's impossible. We can only live today. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the days, the evil thereof. Live today. Have you ever tried to live in tomorrow? Can't do that either, can we? It just can't be done. God wants us to live today and bring every thought into captivity or obedience. If you're in captivity to somebody, you're in obedience to that person. And so bring every thought into captivity or obedience. You know, the Bible talks about the inner man. It talks about the inward man. In Romans 7, you'll notice that Paul talks about the, the inward man. And that's what we're talking about here. How that we are to delight in the law of God in the inward man. How are we going to practice thought control uh, with reference to our minds? We do it in the inward man, don't we? This is the outward man. This obviously our minds are the inward man. Now you can talk about the, the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, fine. But it's the inner man, according to the Bible. The inner man, or the inward man. There is, do people think very much in our society? When we see irrational thinking that's going on, we wonder that, whether it be religiously or politically. But in Romans chapter 7, you notice Paul said in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. In the church, we need to study where it all stems from. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus said, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts adulteries and fornications and such like. Out of the heart proceed these evil thoughts that bring about these things. And so thought control is taught in the Word of God. It's where it's at. It's, you know, the heart of the matter is the heart, isn't it? You know, why don't more people obey the gospel of Jesus Christ when they hear it as it is taught in the Bible? The heart of the problem is the heart. In Matthew chapter 15 that I mentioned a moment ago, that whole context is teaching when the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of not washing their hands prior to eating. In essence, in that chapter, Jesus is teaching it's better to eat dirt than to have a dirty heart. That's the concept. Somebody says, you know, you, I heard somebody say one time, you can take the, you can take, uh, if you could cut off people's heads, uh, you, uh, when you look in there, it, sometimes it might even look like a trash can. Well, that's, that would be sad, wouldn't it? But the bottom line is, we can think those thoughts that God would have us to think. But it takes effort to do that, doesn't it? It doesn't take effort to have thoughts pop into one's mind. That's ongoing. But what it takes is the matter of choosing what to do with those thoughts once we have them. And just because a negative thought or an unvirtuous thought pops into one's mind doesn't mean one has to dwell on that. And so deal with it according to God's word. You know over there in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, the need to think about our, our thoughts and our inward man and study about how it works. 
Over there in Colossians chapter 3, and verse 16, uh, or Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, excuse me. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul said here that he desired for his brethren there that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Do you see that? Now, God doesn't, uh, the Holy Spirit today, through his words, strengthens us and strengthens us in the inner man. Now, we can lift physical weights all we want to, but to strengthen the inner man, we've got to allow the word of God to speak to us, don't we, instead of the word of God. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. Let's look at Ephesians 1 and verse 3 for just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul was writing to his good brethren at Ephesus. And do you remember that he, uh, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ. There's not one that's out of Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. In Christ, I have fellowship with God, fellowship with Christ, fellowship with the Lord's church, the greatest institution on the face of this earth. I have remission of sins at baptism, according to Acts 2, verse 38. I have continual remission of sins as I live the faithful Christian life, 1 John 1, 7. You see, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanseth us from all sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says, to me as a child of God, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive of sins, And so we have that blessing. So in Christ I have fellowship with God and fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit and the blessings that are offered in the Word of God. You want to see the spiritual blessings in Christ? Read Ephesians chapter 1. Look at the 12 blessings that are found there. A dozen beautiful blessings to the child of God. That will give joy and happiness right there. Understanding and believing that. And then practicing thought control in one's life incorporating these qualities because you see when you are you think virtue you become virtuous if you think honest you become honest and you are honest if you think dishonest if you think dishonest you're dishonest and so we realize the thought process is so significant and important look at Romans 8 verse 28 and we know all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose what a beautiful passage that is. Now, Romans chapter 8, 28 throughout the end of the chapter, the blessings of salvation are clearly emphasized. You see, I know that all things, if I'm a faithful child of God, I know that all things work together for my good. Can you imagine that? What a beautiful thought that is. God is going to take the negative and he's going to take the positive, what I consider negative, and he is going to put it all together and it's going to turn out for good for my salvation. Isn't that beautiful? That's to you. That's to a child of God. Romans 8, verse 28. We know. We don't have to guess. We know that's the case. Now somebody says, well, that's kind of arrogant to say that you know something. Well, how do you know that what I'm saying is not the case? And so, uh, if you can know I don't know, I can know I know. Right? So we're not agnostics. We believe what the Bible says. Paul said, and we know that all things work together for good. Now watch this. To them that love God. Do you love God? And if you do, all things work together for your good. To them who are the called. Who's that? Who's the ecclesia? The church. To them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, if I'm living according to God's purpose, then God's going to work everything. Not my purpose, but his purpose, right? Then God's going to work all things together for my good to please him. 
to be like Christ. Follow the context, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you go on down through here in Romans chapter 8, and I would encourage you sometime just to, if you've studied it, wonderful. Restudy Romans 8 sometime. It is so beautiful. Notice that God is the one who's for us. He is not against us. Notice in verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody said, well, a lot of people can be against us, or Satan can be against us, or Satan can be against me. Well, that's right. They are against us, but not successfully. That's what this is saying. If God be for me, who can be against me? Nobody can cause me to lose my faith and lose my soul if I choose to continue to trust in the gospel of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? If that won't give hope, then something's wrong there with the heart. Notice he said uh, further in this chapter that he proved it by the giving of Jesus. He spared not his own son for us so we could have that kind of confidence. That God is for us. You get into trouble, you want somebody with some brains on your side, right? Well, we have the omniscient God of heaven on our side. And he's figured it all out whereby he can still be just and forgive us of our sins by the blood of Christ. Take advantage of that. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. Let's press on. Notice he points out that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation can't do it. Distress can't do it. There is no difficulty in life or in death that can separate you from the love of Christ, provided you continue to obey the gospel or continue to in the faith given to us, right? I mean, and that's taken for granted here. Let's go ahead where he said we're more than conquerors, verse 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And you can see why from the last two verses, all the things that are in life or in death or visible or invisible, all the forces that would destroy my faith cannot do it because I'm more than conqueror. Now in the first century, the Romans to whom he wrote understood what it was like and what it meant to be a conqueror because that's all they heard about, how that the Roman Empire were the conquerors, right? The soldiers would go out and they'd take a city, they would come back with the spoils and they were the conquering world-ruling empire. So when Paul said, we're more than that, they understood what he was saying, right? So Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because we're conquerors not in the physical realm, but we're conquerors in the spiritual realm is what he's talking about here. We're Christian soldiers, soldiers of Christ. And we've overcome sin and we can fight against sin with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we can be right with God, live a faithful Christian life. And nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. And he lists all, these, all of these things. And so, can we have joy? Thought control means that I study the word of God like I ought to. And then seek to have the kind of thinking that Jesus had. Uh, I had other illustrations I couldn't go through because of the time. But you know, Jesus practiced this over and over again in his in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Where others were looking at somebody in a negative way. And he would come along then and he would look for the virtuous and the good and the praiseworthy. Think about Nathaniel. You know, think about who we call Doubting Thomas. The Lord never called him Doubting Thomas. He was a man, if given the evidence, would believe. And Jesus gave him that privilege. You see, the Lord looked at things in the right way. If you're here and you're not a child of God, you can obey the good news of salvation this morning. While you have life, while you have health, the ability to think and reason, you can hear the word of God, Romans 10, 17, just like anybody else. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You can believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
the sinless one who died upon the cross for you and was raised from the dead so that he could raise you from the dead. And he's gone into heaven before us so we can follow after. You can believe in him. John 8, 24, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And then, of course, Jesus teaches that one can repent. That's the hardest thing to do. Oh, it's easy to get the facts about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He worked miracles. People saw that. He raised the dead. But do you believe? And so he said, I believe that. But are you willing to give your life to him in obedience is the question. So Jesus said, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall likewise perish, Luke 13 and 3, and also verse 5. And then one can confess, and you can confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And you can be baptized, a burial in water for remission of sins, that is the sending away of sins. It's the liquid grave of baptism wherein you're raised to walk in newness of life, reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, taking advantage of what he did. To submit to say, well, baptism is not necessary for me, is to say, well, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ is not necessary for me. And I don't think we want to say that. Let's do what the Lord said in Romans 6, 3, and 4. You baptized into his death, buried with him, you see, in baptism. And then rise to walk in newness of life as a Christian if you need to come to Christ. And do that. We'll be happy to baptize you even this morning. Perhaps as a child of God, you fall away from the faith. Go back to thought control. Go back to Philippians 4, verse 8, and start thinking on things that are honest and virtuous and praiseworthy and things that are of good report. Get your mind where it ought to be, in other words. And, and I'm preaching to myself as well. We all have to practice this. And, uh, and think about your soul. Think about the love of God. Can't think about things that are good and honest and just without thinking of the blessings God's given. And it will bring you to repentance. If you need to come to Christ or come back to Christ, whatever the need might be, we encourage you to come as we stand and sing the selected song.